0: So now, Father, we pray that you would speak to us from your word as we look to Jesus Christ and the example that he has set for us. We pray, Lord God, that you would unleash the power of who you are in this place and that you, Lord God, would get to the hearts of your people. Lord, it's to that end that I avail myself to you. I'm completely available to you for you to use me in any way imaginable. My job is to get the word to... The, the ears of your people, you by your spirit, take it from the ears to the heart to the feet. So change us and show us, Lord God, the way in which we should take. Put shoe leather, we pray, on your word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Also want to, want to remind you, thank you, Elder Arshel. Uh, also want to remind you um, that we are actually doing Exploring Membership, our new members class um, today, uh, right after service at 12 p.m., and uh, hopefully you can meet us there for that. I will be there. Pastor Eric will be there as well. Just because you go to the class doesn't mean that you want to join for sure, but it's a great opportunity to hear the vision, values, and story of our church, Uh, plus um, there's going to be food, free lunch there, and uh, Sister Kim, did I hear right? There's Susie's Cakes. So, gain you a couple pounds uh, while you come uh, to that, but hopefully you 'll be able to make it there we 've been journeying through the book of first Peter, and if you could meet me in first peter chapter four first first peter, first Peter chapter four, if you could meet me in the book of first Peter, first Peter, chapter Four. Also, want to just let you know a few things that are on tap coming uh, up in the month of January. We're going to go through 21 days of consecration uh, together, and as we're just going to begin the, the new year, uh, wanting to seek God together as a community. And uh, so, hopefully, you'll be able to participate in that with us. And then, want to encourage you to, to, of course, come every Sunday, but especially you don't want to miss January 22nd. January 22nd, that is our State of the Church address, and we're going to be unveiling several very very exciting new initiatives uh, that I've been sworn to secrecy. And uh, I'm struggling, y'all, but I am really excited. There's some great things on tap, so hopefully you, can, hopefully you can make it there. First Peter chapter 4, pick me up in verse 12. Peter writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. Make note of this phrase, to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers, make note of this phrase, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Verse 19, Therefore, make note of this phrase, Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Marriage is the collision of two different people. Now, some married folks should have said amen right on down through there. (laughs) Marriage is the collision of two different people. That's right, Carlos. But you just got married a couple weeks ago, brother. You done picked up on that already. (laughs) Two different people who have different philosophies on just about everything. Different philosophies on how to squeeze the toothpaste. One does it from the middle up, and the other does it correctly from the bottom up. You can say amen, Sister Loritz, whatever you... Two different philosophies on the toilet seat. One of my good friends, is. <laughs> uh, this was so not in the notes, but one of my good friends, is, uh, his parents, when they were married about 50 plus years... Um, his dad woke up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. And I guess at that age, you, you know, kind of go a different way sometimes. And, uh, he plopped down on the toilet seat and fell asleep. And about an hour later, his wife got up to use the restroom and sat right on top of him. (laughs) Screamed about, had a heart attack, but we're different. And I remember first year of marriage, um, seeing how different my wife and I were on my birthday. On my birthday, my wife excitedly comes to me with a gift. It's all wrapped real nice. She's all smiling and all excited and Here's your birthday gift. Now, I'm starting to feed off of her energy because if you're looking like that, it's about to be a doozy of a gift because she's excited and elated and all happy. And I'm saying, my, my, my. I tear into this thing and tube socks. Tube socks. You you ever had someone do something and the way they were expecting you to respond and the way you responded was just so different and you knew that, but you tried to get your Denzel Washington on, you know, you try to act. So, you know, I'm, you know, at first I was like, oh, and then I saw the gift, like, oh, and I didn't act too well. I wasn't gonna win any Academy Awards. So now she's seeing my disappointment and that's starting to vex her spirit. And what's wrong? You don't like the gift. And the next thing you know, we having a marital realignment session. That's code for argument. (laughs) On my birthday. At the end of the day, our arguments stemmed from differences in expectations. Disappointment can simply be defined parenthetically as as what happens when your expectations don't mesh with reality. And as my wife and I were processing our theology of gift-giving, It came out that I grew up in a house where you got what you wanted for birthdays and Christmases. Makes sense. My wife, God bless her, grew up in a home where you gave people not what they wanted, but what they needed. Anybody grow up in a house like that? Oh, man, you, 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 horrible, horrible upbringing, man. Brother, you... You need to be on somebody's sofa getting therapy right now. So here I am expecting a designer watch or something and I get tube socks. Ever found yourself disappointed with God? Because God had the nerve to not give you what you wanted. But he gave you what you needed. Y'all real spiritual up in here today. Ever found yourself disappointed with God because you read passages like Matthew chapter 7 and it says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open." And you are asking you for your proverbial designer watch. But then you open up the gift from God and it's tube socks. And yet it's here that we've got a dilemma because my Bible tells me that every good and perfect gift comes from God. That he is a giver of good gifts and a good gift is not determined by how I feel about it. That if it comes from God, it's good even if at times it may not feel good. And yet we all have to admit that while there have been times in which we've been disappointed with the gifts God has given us in the present, when we look through the rearview mirror of our journey with Jesus, we can now say some years down the line that we are grateful that we serve a God who does not always give us what we want, but he is also a God who from time to time looks past our wants and gives us what we need, knowing that even in those gifts we may not like it, but it's good for us. And so we come to our passage today, and um, I, I just, I can feel it in the air, because if you've been tracking with our series through 1 Peter, there's something in your spirits when you, when you read phrases like the fiery trial that we're going, something in you should go, here we go again, we're talking about suffering again, and yes, our text, God is dealing with the, the, the proverbial gift of tube socks, he gives us from time to time, and it's a gift called suffering. There's something in you... Should be like, oh, do we have to talk about this again? And something in me, multiply how you're feeling times a thousand when it comes to me. It's not like that. I'm like, ooh, got a powerful word on suffering. Can't wait to get to the church today. Talk about suffering. Yet here he is. Peter once again is talking about suffering. This is like the third or fourth major time. In the book of First Peter, where he's just talking about suffering. In fact, you just read through the book, you'll see that, that, that there are times in which Peter will talk about suffering, then go on to something else, and go on to something else. Then he'll double back later on, talk about suffering again, then go on to something else, go on to something else. Then he'll double back, talk about suffering again. Peter, in a lot of ways, is like my father. Growing up in my, in my house, there were just some themes that my dad had on repeat. There, there were certain subjects dad would kind of talk about. They were important things. But now there were certain subjects to dad that were really important. So much so that he just constantly revisited them. I remember being 15 years old and, and, and my dad just starts chirping in my ear. Now, now son, what are you going to do with your life? Because in three years, you out of here. And about the seventh time hearing that, I'm like, doggone it. Does he not want me around here? and he starts talking to me over and over again about the value of hard work. Had that on repeat. He starts talking to me about my relationship with God and the need to obey God. In fact, I remember being 18 years old, dad dropping me off at college, tears streaming down his face. I'll never forget that image. And him saying to me, his final two words, him saying to me, obey God. It was just a theme that he had on repeat. I remember him talking to me about integrity and giving me the definition of integrity. That integrity is the alignment of words with deeds. That Loritz men are men of integrity. These were important themes to God that he just talked about over and over and over again. So here's Peter. He picks up his pen and again, he's, he's talking about suffering. Then he'll move on to something else and double back to suffering. Then move on to something else and double back to suffering again. It is one of those major themes that he just puts on repeat. It says, if he wants to know, Christian, you are never more like Christ, not when you are comfortable, but you are most like Christ when you suffer and are afflicted and yet navigated in such a way that God gets glory to a watching world. He wants us to understand that prosperity is a horrible teacher. That's why he talks about it. I also think the reason why Peter talks about it so much, remember, some of us can remember this. This is the same guy who denied Jesus three times. This was the same guy. When the heat got turned up, he, he kind of jumped out of the proverbial oven. So I think the reason why he talks about suffering so much is it, it's him saying, Don't make the same mistake I made. So He talks about it over and over and over again. He says three counterintuitive things on suffering. I just want to give you these three statements on suffering, expound on them, and call it a morning. The first thing he wants you to understand, and this will shock some of us, is that suffering is common for Christians. Look at what he says in verse 12. Beloved. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Let me just rephrase that. Beloved, do not be surprised, dot, 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 as though something strange were happening to you. The idea of the word surprised, it means to be emotionally or cognitively impacted. To say it another way, here's what Peter is saying. Don't be thrown off by the suffering. Now we gotta double back a little bit. You gotta understand suffering in Peter's day is a lot different than how it is now. Uh, Peter is right on the precipice of government sanction persecution. Of Christians. The Roman Empire would go hard after Christians. Nero would catch Christians and sew them into bags with wild animals and cast them down the Thames River. He would he would make sure that Christians were a part of the gladiatorial games and and and, and whole Colosseums would be packed as they would watch Christians being torn limb from limb uh, by, by wild animals. It was Nero who would actually light the Roman roads with the bodies of Christians, would set them on fire, literally walking down their version of 280. You would navigate their version of 280 by by seeing Christians screaming to their deaths, hanging overhead, being lit on fire. That's not our day. Parenthetically, I do think we are maybe a generation or two away when the government starts persecuting Christians. I do think that day is coming. But we're not there yet. So what does this text have to do with me? I want to elongate this idea of suffering because suffering simply means anything that causes harm on any level, anything that causes emotional or physical or psychological harm. It could be a whole host of things that are happening. I got a pastor friend right now uh, back east, and he just uh, found out that his wife has been diagnosed with, um, with lung cancer, and uh, she also had a liver transplant 14 years ago, and that liver is not doing well, and they've got four young kids, and here he is having to shepherd a flock, and and care for his, for his wife, and he's going through a deal of suffering. I just left Nashville this week. I was teaching the gospel of uh, Jesus Christ all week long in Nashville. I hung out Thursday afternoon with my brother and hanging out with my brother. He tells me how my sister just left their house, and, and I, how's my sister doing? And uh, he says, well, she looks just kind of sad right now because she's just gone through a divorce. This is the holiday season. She's got two young kids. It's tough. It's a form of suffering. Some of you are right there, Thanksgiving table. You're, for the first time at Thanksgiving table, you're looking at a seat that used to be occupied at the last Thanksgiving by a loved one, but that loved one has since gone on. They're no longer here, and now you're dealing with the sadness of it, and it's hard to have a merry Christmas. This is just a tough time of year for some of us. If I could just keep it real, up in here, up in here. It is a form of suffering. Others of you, you've gone through divorces. No, you weren't the perfect spouse. No, you didn't do it perfectly, but you upheld your end of the vows, only to discover that that person was cheating on you, betraying you, doing awful things. And when you found out, it felt as if someone punched you right in the soul. That is a form of suffering. Others of you are in between rounds of chemo, a form of of suffering. Others of you have been in seasons of unemployment and wayward kids and, you know, you you just found the lump on your breast and you're waiting the results. That is suffering, suffering, suffering. And here's what Peter says. Don't be surprised. Don't let it throw you. He's not saying you can't cry. He's not saying you can't grieve. Cry, grieve, get help, see a pastor, an elder, go to counseling, do that. But don't let it rattle the foundations of your faith. He goes on to say these words. He says, look at verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, verse 19, therefore let those who suffer and hear it according to God's will, according to God's will, what? You can be suffering and right in the center of God's will at the same time. See, this isn't this isn't stuff you grow big churches off of. These are what I call space maker sermons. And I just got to take a station break right now. You got to be careful. This name it, claim it, confess it, and possess it. Nab it and grab it. Prosperity theology. You got to be careful. You need to be very discerning on what preachers you allow to speak into your spirit. You've got to be careful who you watch on TV, careful who you listen on the radio. I'm not saying everybody on TV or radio is false theology. In fact, we begin our radio program here a little over a week. I'm not saying that at all. But something is woefully wrong with a preacher with $5,000 cufflinks saying, if you want your blessing, send in a gift. Be discerning, people. Be discerning. So these individuals and a host of others fundamentally say, if you do it right over here, and let me tell you what right means by them. If you tithe, I had a cousin who got saved in one of their churches. She got saved. We were so elated, so so excited. And yet she comes to us a few days later and she says, felt a little weird. She says, I I go to the altar, get saved. They take me to a little private room. And the first thing they ask me is for the previous year's W-2 statement. (laughs) So we can know. I watch these guys say crazy stuff. And what's more disheartening is not what they say, but the people admitting it. Be discerning. It was said of the Bereans that the Bereans would never just take what the teacher said, but they would test it by examining the scriptures. If the only time you open your Bible during the week is on Sunday morning, you're in trouble. Don't take what I'm saying as gospel truth. Examine, 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 examine. Examine. So what these guys say is, you do it good over here, you'll get good results over here. Do what you're supposed to do over here. You'll never get sick, never suffer. I mean, literally, they must cut out the whole book of Job. Here's a guy, he is described as being perfect and upright. Yet he goes to a funeral with 10 caskets, each casket holding one of his kids. He's covered from head to toe with boils. Here's a guy who is suffering and going through all of it. Nothing in the text remotely suggests he did anything to deserve it. They must cut out the teachings of Jesus. Jesus, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself daily. Take up his cross, his cross, his cross and follow me. And back then, a cross wasn't a little piece of bling. It wasn't a bad day at work. It wasn't bill collectors calling the house. It had been so identifying with Jesus Christ that I'm willing to suffer the same way that he suffered. They must cut out our text. You know what Peter's saying in in our text? That there are times when you can do it right over here, dot every theological I, cross every theological T, and yet, still get cancer. Still get the pink slip. Still have hard times. And what really throws you is the reverse. Psalm 73, read it. The psalmist says, my foot almost slipped when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So not only do you have folk who do it right over here, but get bad stuff over here. What's really disheartening is to see folk who ain't even thinking about God. And they roll it in their Teslas. And I can't even make rent. We don't follow God for the benefits package. We follow him because we love him and because he's worthy. And if our leader Jesus Christ suffered, we don't get a pass. So this isn't a masochistic sermon. Don't pray for it. But keep inhaling and exhaling. Peter says, suffering, it's common. Second thing that Peter says is, suffering is never coincidental. It's never coincidental. Verse 12, beloved, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. Underline this phrase, to test you, to test you, to test you. This Greek word is one of the most interesting Greek words. In fact, Peter is writing in Greek. But what's so interesting about this word is it it, it can mean a whole lot of different stuff. But the way in which you determine it is by its context. For example, there are times when this word test is used, but it's used in relation to what Satan does to us. Now, when it's used in how in how Satan treats us, it is always the idea of temptation. So that when Satan tries to introduce discomfort or suffering into our lives, it is always for the purpose of tripping us up. But when God introduces or allows us to go through some things, as is the context here, it's not for the purpose of tripping us up, but it is for the purpose of revealing what's really there. So the idea of the word test, it is the idea of revealing what is really in my heart. If you really want to know what you think about God, if you really want to know your motives, if you really want to know what is at the foundations of your faith, you will never find it in seasons of prosperity, but you will only find it in seasons of adversity. Anybody here ever taken a stress test? Fundamentally, there's several ways to get about it. Fundamentally, when a doctor says, look, we, we, we need to look at what's going on underneath the hood of your body. But in order for me to do that, the doctor says, I've got to hook some things up to you and introduce to you a degree of suffering. I have got to put you on a treadmill and I got to push you to the brink because I'll never discover what's really going on deep down on the inside unless you're pushed. So that what Peter is saying here is suffering is a stress test. It reveals what you really think about God. It reveals what you really believe about God. Now, I want you to hold your fingers here. I said this to you two weeks ago. Go way back to your left to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 22. I said this to you a couple weeks ago that every New Testament point has an Old Testament picture. Say that, say that with me one more time. Every New Testament point has an Old Testament picture. One more time. Every New Testament point has an Old Testament picture. The idea here is God uses, God decrees at times, God allows suffering in the life of the believer not to give information that God didn't have. God already knows it, but to reveal to the believer what's really going on. Now, in Genesis chapter 22, I don't have time to unpack all this. Here's Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah have been married for years. Uh, They have uh, struggled with infertility on into their 90s. God then shows up to this couple who have had their hearts broken, dealing with a barren womb on into their 90s. God says, I'm going to bless you with a child. Uh, They get blessed with a child. Just think of the elation. Just think of how happy they are. Just think of how excited they are. And now in Genesis chapter 22, God says, let's take a little stress test. Verse 1, Genesis 22, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. I love these words. Your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. That kills me. I mean, to, to, to kill a child. It's gut-wrenching, but if I was given that task, you'll know, just get it over. Quick fasting, right. No, no, I want you to set them on fire. On one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, why does he do why did he do this? Verse 1. After these things God tested, God tested, God tested Abraham. So put it together. Okay, this is God saying, all right, Abraham, you've struggled with infertility for years. You've been praying to me. You've been asking about it. I finally show up well into your 90s. I bless you with a son. But, but Abraham, you need to know some things. You need to know what do you love more, the giver or the gift? Let's take a little test here, Abraham. You need to be able to discern in the foundations of your soul who's number one, the blessing or the blessor. So we're going to do a stress test. We got we to reveal some things. Do you love that child more than you love me? Where's your identity, Abraham? Is it in Isaac or Yahweh? And the only way we get at that is through adversity. One of my favorite books of all time, in fact, it's, um, you've read it, it's it's C.S. Lewis's most vulnerable book. He wrote a book when his wife was suffering. And she was dying on her deathbed. And she would die. He kept a journal watching her suffer physically and himself emotionally. This journal turned into a book. It's a book called A Grief Observed. It's a short book, you can read it in probably half hour to forty five minutes. But boy, is it powerful and poignant. In one passage, C.S. Lewis says these words. Look at them with me. Nothing will shake a man or at any rate a man like me out of his merely verbal thinking and his merely notional beliefs. He has to be knocked silly before he comes to his senses. Only torture will bring out the truth. Only under torture does he discover it himself. If my house, Lewis writes, has collapsed at one blow, that is because it was a house of cards. The faith which took these things into account was not faith, but imagination. You know what he's saying? The only way you know you're a real Christian is the same way we only know if it's real gold. If it goes through the fire. I'll never forget, I grew up in Atlanta, and um, one of my dearest friends, who will will remain nameless, loved Jesus, or so I thought, we grew up in uh, sister churches together, Uh, he would do a midweek Bible study at his house, and we young adults would pack over there, we were the same age, and he was leading his Bible study, and man, it was rich and great, and so admired what I thought was his faith, and it's just great stuff, and if you'd have stopped me at that moment and say, just kind of, who are the... Who are the the Christians that you hang with that you most admire? He'd He'd have made that list. Years later, I moved to Los Angeles to do grad school and was working at a church out there and was going to a large church. And, uh, um, you know, we had a lot of people in the entertainment industry. And I was, I was talking to this friend who taught these Bible studies that I grew up with in Atlanta. And, you know, he also had a love for music and Christian hip hop and, and, and was thinking about getting in the hip hop industry in general. He knew I was living in L.A. He asked to actually come out and live with me in L.A. So he slept on my sofa for a period of time. And over the next couple of years, I'd watch him go to church. And I, I, I'd listen to him pray and really seeking God to, open up doors to get me into the music industry. That's what I really want is praying and praying and praying and putting demo tapes together and getting turned down, but praying and praying and praying and coming to church and seeking God and still getting turned down and still getting turned down. And over time I just kind of watch him just kind of wasn't going to church as much and not as much. And wasn't talking about Jesus as much and we weren't praying together as much. And you, you, you know what he's doing now? He describes himself as an atheist. Now, what does that reveal? Pastor, are you saying he lost his salvation? You can't lose something you never earned in the first place. John says it this way in 1 John chapter 2. They went out from us because they were never really of us. What it revealed was, was he was never a true, authentic follower of Jesus Christ. What the stress test of adversity and disappointment did was, it revealed that at the end of the day, God was never the CEO of his life. Music was. God was merely his administrative assistant to facilitate the worship of his true God, music. But he never would have known that. Had he not gone through the stress test. So C.S. Lewis says, looking at his wife suffering, C.S. Lewis says, if I turn my back on God, it was never faith in the first place. So suffering, Peter says, oh, no, it's never coincidental. Let's go home on this. Finally, Peter says, okay, you're in the midst of suffering. You're there. Suffering is not like airline turbulence where I don't care who you are, you fly, you're going to hit it. And it's just this kind of this random thing. No, that's not suffering. It's always, always, always intentional. It's for a purpose. We need to get at some things here. We need to see some things. We need to have some things revealed. Okay, pastor, I'm in the middle of it. What do I do? Three quick things. Number one, look at verse 13, (laughs) but rejoice (laughs) in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Now, what does this mean? It does not mean to be in denial. You can have tears and legitimate tears, but they should always be tears of joy. What is joy? Joy is the unique ability to express and emote happiness in spite of one's circumstances. Hear it. Joy is the refusal to allow my situation to have the final say. And as long as there's Jesus, there should always be joy. As long as there's Jesus, there should always be joy. It may be Good Friday in your life right now, but if you follow Jesus, Resurrection Sunday will happen. So he says, I want you to rejoice. (laughs) Of course, if you want a moving illustration of this, read the book of Philippians. The theme for Philippians is rejoice. Written by a guy in jail. So, God, I'm in it. Help me have joy. And my experience, friends, is joy is not just something that randomly happens to you. It is a choice and a decision you make as you lean into the spirit of God. Choose joy. Choose joy. Choose joy. Choose joy. Some of us have to make up our minds. Choose joy. I'm not going to choose a pity party today. I'm choosing joy. I ain't choosing negativity today. I'm choosing joy. Friend, Satan can steal a lot of stuff from your life, but don't ever let him steal your joy. He may steal your paycheck. Don't let him steal your joy. He may steal your job. Don't let him steal your joy. He may steal that relationship. But whatever you do, don't ever let Satan steal your joy. Rejoice and be glad. Second thing, verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify, 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 glorify God in that name. So I'm in it. What do I do? Rejoice. Peter also says you have an opportunity to turn your suffering into a stage that that makes the name of God great. Suffering is an opportunity to glorify God. When you throw a pity party, actually a pity party is a subtle form of narcissism where I become the center of my world. To glorify removes me from the center, puts God in the center and keeps the focus on him. To glorify God is the idea of to make God bigger. And technically, you can't make God bigger. But the idea there is, is that suffering can become a divine telescope that brings God into clear view. A telescope does not make Pluto bigger. A telescope does not make... The Big Dipper, bigger. What it does is it brings things way out there, way out there in the distance. It brings it into clear view. So here's what I do. I'm in the middle of it. I've got cancer. God, help me to use cancer as a telescope, not for me, but for you. Help me to use unemployment. It's a telescope to make your name great. The difference between Christians who suffer and non-Christians who suffer is we understand uniquely suffering is not about me. It's about God. What he wants to get done. Paul understood this. They came to Paul one day and they said, Paul, we're going to kill you. Paul says, that's cool to die his game. They came back to Paul the next day and said, well, Paul, we ain't going to kill you. We're we'll let you live. Paul says, that's cool, too, to live as Christ. <laughs> Frustrated, they came back to Paul and says, Paul, we ain't going to kill you or let you live. We're going to make you suffer. Paul says, that's cool, too, for I consider that the sufferings of this pre- present age are nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed. So kill me. It's fine. Let me live. It's fine. Make me suffer. It's fine. Because in either scenario, it's all about God and what he wants to get done. Mm-hmm. Finally. He says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to so a faithful Creator while doing good. Entrust. Entrust. How do you know you're entrusting yourselves to God? I'm going to come back and unpack what it means to entrust. How do you know, it, you, do you know you're entrusting yourself to God? He says, Here's how you know you keep doing good, which means you keep coming to church, which means you keep sharing your faith. See, see, what happens to us is we go through something and what some of us want to do is we want to moonwalk away from God. We want to stop coming to church. We want to get isolated. We don't want to lean into communion. No, no, no. Entrust yourself to God. And the way in which you know you are entrusting yourself to God and not entrusting yourself in your circumstances is because you just keep doing what God called you to do. Even though you don't know the results. Yeah, I do the word "trust." It's a very picturesque word. Back then, they didn't really have banks. They had a few banks, but banks wasn't a big deal back then. So the issue became, when people went on journeys, obviously they weren't catching airplanes. They, they, they weren't getting in cars. To, to, to go about a journey typically meant that you would be gone from home for about three months. When you would go on a journey, you now were faced with a conundrum. And that conundrum would be, what do I do with my valuables, my money, my jewelry? Do I leave them at home? If I do, I make them vulnerable and susceptible to people stealing them. If I take them with me with the preponderance of thieves, I could end up getting robbed. So what do I do with my valuables? Here's what they did in the ancient world. They would find a friend that they considered to be faithful, honest, and true. They would entrust their valuables to that friend for safekeeping until the time they returned home. Peter uses that same word, and he says when it comes to God, we can entrust him with our most valuable resource, our, our lives. Why? Because God, I love it, I love it, I love it, is a faithful creator. I love this. He calls God a faithful creator, which means this. I can trust God with my sickness because this is the creator, which means this. This is the one who said, let there be light. And there was light, which means I think he can handle my cancer. He's the faithful creator. This is the one who carved out the Grand Canyon, which means I think he can handle my season of unemployment. If God can hang the stars in their place and set the seas in their place, then there's nothing that comes in your life that God cannot handle. He is a faithful creator. Growing up, my mentor, he grew up in the 50s. And he said one day his dad came home when he was a child. His dad came home with an inflatable clown. He said, being a kid, the first thing I did was I, of course, being a little boy, I punched it. He says, at that moment that I noticed something strange. He says, I hit that clown as hard as I could, and the clown went back and popped right back up into place. He says, well, now I'm intrigued. So now I'm, I'm throwing combinations with everything I have. Boop, 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 boop. pops right back into place. He says, for the next hour, I'm hitting this thing and I'm throwing objects at it and I'm hitting it with everything that I can. But each time it may knock it down for a little bit, but it popped right back up into place. And he says, the reason for this is because at the deepest recesses of this clown was a weight. At the deepest places of this clown was a weight that held it stable, which meant this. Because it had that weight deep down on the inside, no matter what hit it from the outside, it would always back, pop right back into place. Because what was in it was greater than anything that could hit it from the outside. Christians suffer just like non-Christians. The difference is we have a weight. And his name is Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we may get knocked down, but we'll always come back up because greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. Well, Christian, I'd be lying to you and I'd be guilty of pastoral and preaching malpractice. To tell you, you keep following Jesus and you'll never have heartache. No, in this world you will have trouble. But fear not, child of God. We've overcome the world. And greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world.